people that are really in the know in politics will have been expecting this ascent and they would have seen it because of what's emerging as a pretty bulletproof political principle. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, back in May, now Q&A producer, but then the spin-offs, uh, bulletin editor Alex Bray wrote about Chris Luxon's leadership chances and he mused that it does seem significant that people refer to Chris Luxon as Luxton in the same way our last two successful political leaders have been commonly referred to as John Keyes and Jacinta Ardern. <laughs> and his reason there, there's vague familiarity, which for the vast majority of New Zealand's politicians is about as good as it gets. Uh, it's early days, so the theory doesn't have an official name, but leading contenders, I think, are the Bray effect, maybe the Brazian principle or Brazian probability. It seems to be working. <laughs> so do you have any data to back this theory? Of course, of course. I mean, obviously, the big one is the fact that our country has been led almost uninterrupted for the last 13 years by someone whose name is commonly misspelled or mispronounced. And the one one leader that we had that didn't have that issue, Bill English, was quickly voted out. So, I mean, as for the more immediate press, Newsroom did look at the data on Google searches for Chris Luxon, Christopher Luxon, Chris Luxton, and Christopher Luxton. Immediately before he was elevated to the leadership, they found a marked rise, of course, in people searching the correct spelling of his name, but exponential increases as well in people searching for the two variations on Luxton. And this isn't just something that's, you know, a, a phenomenon out there in the public. The projects, yeah, the TV3 show, the, the project's official Twitter account twice called Luxon Luxton in the lead up to the vote uh, on its uh, Twitter account. And, of course, just after that, Luxon won. Could have been Lux in. <laughs> but anyway, I'll take all of that into consideration, Hayden. But out of curiosity, are there any other uh, MPs who are currently candidates for the, which we call it, the Bray effect? There does appear to be one candidate that is a potential or, or has potential here and identified or misidentified in the media already. So here's... Catherine Ryan talking about that person on nine to noon. In terms of who will be lead, I think I think it's Luxon, but in terms of deputy, I think it's wide open. So it could be uh, um, Erica Stanton. It could be a Nicola Willis. Now, political insiders will note that Erica Stanton doesn't exist and is in fact Erica Stanford. And I think that this really does officially mark Erica Stanford as a leading candidate to benefit from the Bray effect in future. So I just want to offer congratulations to her in advance on taking over the national leadership in the coming years. I'm sure her rise is now inevitable. <laughs> Can I add a couple? What about Calvin uh, Davies rather than Calvin Davis? Yeah, that's right. That's the Bray, that's right. Bray effect. And Jackie Deans think- rather than Jackie Dean. That, well, that's it. I, I'm, I'm not going to back those guys 100%. I think that for Calvin Davis, Calvin Davies, for his ascent might have already happened because he is a deputy leader of the, the Labour Party already, right? So that, that, that effect may, has, may have already taken him as far as it would go. Yes. All right, let's go back to Luxon. It hasn't been all good news for Chris Luxon on his first day, though. Um, Morning Report wanted to know a lot more about him. Yeah, exactly. A, a media grilling, <laughs> sort of a wall-to-wall media grilling for Chris Luxon on his first day as leader, right? I, I think News Hub, 
uh, at six tonight. He, he he said he wasn't sure how many millions his house had increased in value over the last year, and then admitted he thinks abortion is tantamount to murder. And this was just this one interview. But much of the media scrutiny today has focused on two topics. There's the fact that he owns that housing one. You know, he owns seven, seven houses. houses. We all know that now. <laughs> we all know the seven houses stat now. That's exactly right. But the other one was his, uh, a bit more controversial as an area of scrutiny, his religious beliefs. And I do want to focus on that a little bit. So here he is being grilled on that topic on Morning Report by Susie Ferguson. But do you believe in a literal translation of the Bible of the um, of miracles of speaking in tongues? Well, I, I believe in you know my faith is um, you know well I, I, you know, the Bible guides me in terms of my faith, but um, and it gives me purpose and it puts me in the context of something bigger than myself. Mm. But specifically on those things, do you believe in that? Um, look, I'm going not going to I'm not going to talk about that because I know you want to misrepresent that. So that's Susie Ferguson talking to Chris Luxon this morning. And her approach there has been called into question, including by some political reporters in the gallery, like, well, TVNZ's May Heron for once. She tweeted, you know, legitimate to ask stance on abortion, gay marriage, etc., especially when they relate to laws and policy. But do we ask non-religious MPs where they believe we go when we go when we die, what the purpose of life is, is if there's such a thing as a higher power? So what do you reckon? Is religious belief a valid topic for media inquiry? Now, I know this is unlike me, Karen, but I think I have I have nuanced views on the subject. So on the one hand, I grew up in an evangelical church, maybe a couple of notches down from the Pentecostal one that Chris Luxon attended a few years back. But I do remember back then the primary discussion around politics was centred on how we could use politics to apply Christian beliefs and laws and principles to the nation at large. And there wasn't really a debate about whether it was a good idea imposing our belief system on everyone else. The point of contention was more whether that could be best achieved through a separate Christian party like Destiny or whatever, or Christian people shaping our existing mainstream party. Maybe there's a bit of a disconnect in the way that religion is treated in the political galleries and you know, by people that may hear it or something, and the way that it's actually talked about inside of churches. And it's not really sold inside of churches as some sort of highly personal thing that's compartmentalized away from your actions, but as a governing force that should be shaping everything you do. And in many Christian traditions, you know, religious beliefs are supposed to be intrinsic to who you are and how you act. And they're not peripheral, right? They're not something that you switch on when it's time to vote on abortion or euthanasia. They're meant to be there all the time and they're meant to inform everything that you do. And you 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 don't just keep them separate like a personal life and work life. And so given that, it seems a little bit odd that we wall off religious beliefs in their own special section as if they're in a separate kind of God module that doesn't count towards the overall mark in terms of a, per, a person's belief system. And... I kind of I disagree with that religious exemption in a way. I, I find it not only a little bit strange, but it does feel a bit perilous because we have seen the seamless melding of religiosity and political power in, in places like the US, and it doesn't necessarily seem like a great model for us to follow. But having said that, at the same time, the way these questions are posed is often kind of reductive and kind of unhelpful, right? 
And it, it does reduce religious belief to this kind of caricature checklist, you know, do you believe in speaking things? Do you believe in, you know, the virgin birth or whatever? Instead of something that maybe shapes a person in slightly more subtle ways. So talk about it, but not as a, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is a little bit of a pipe dream, maybe I'm a utopian vision, but I would appreciate maybe a little bit more nuanced theological discussion in the media. And actually, it would probably help us as journalists to have a little bit of knowledge of religious experience and theology. And, and, and given the number of especially national MPs right now we have that have religious beliefs but uh, and Labour, but I, I think politicians should be given a chance to explain their beliefs and how they come to, come to them and how they shape who they are and how they don't shape who they are. Because, I mean, despite what I said just before, this isn't black and white where your whole brain is running on Christianity all the time. And some people may profess certain Christian beliefs but then act in different ways when it comes to the crunch. And we've certainly seen that when it comes to, you know, fundamentalist Christians and Jesus' teaching on stuff like giving money to the poor, right? I mean, just to demonstrate what I'm talking about here, uh, I found an old clip. This is a very old clip, but I was I found it recently when I was researching something else. And this is Manu co-counselor Fiesel Collins talking about an aspect of his faith on TVNZ's Breakfast. If Fiesel Collins, I've been quoting you all week, or six, I've been saying, Fiesel said something really profound. <laughs> so, what was the phrase you used about Israel Folau? I was talking about the dispensation of grace. Look, Dad used to get into a lot of trouble. My father was a minister with the Assemblies of God, Emanuelu Movement. And when Dad invited Fafafine to join our praise and worship team, Dad was, you know, it was back in the 80s, Dad was looked down upon, and he was, eventually he was stood down for do, make, taking those kinds of actions. But the dispensation of grace, real quickly, is the theological approach that God has revealed at different stages throughout life. Now, that's a vessel when Collins went on to discuss that in more detail. He talked about Pauline theology and the idea that God's grace is progressively revealed to people and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of useful, partly because it's kind of an interesting discussion that you don't normally see on breakfast TV, but also as kind of an insight into some of the principles which shape his politics, right? They're not separate from what he does as a politician in that much is clear. So I guess maybe let's make this equitable. I would almost take the opposite lesson to the one that I, I agree with May here and what she's talking about there, but I'd almost take the opposite lesson. Why don't we talk about people's beliefs, all of them, with religious and non-religious people? Why don't we talk about the esoteric stuff that, you know, politicians believe or how the universe works or doesn't work or, you know, uh, what their ideas of fairness and justice and where they come from because they help shape what they do when it comes to policy. And maybe a combative morning radio show isn't really the exact time to, and place to have these discussions where the questions are kind of along the lines of do you believe wacky stuff, yes or no? Uh, but I think these discussions are still worth having. Well, Jim Bolger, we spoke to him last night, and he's talking about the big questions in exactly the same manner that you're suggesting. So uh, you're saying ask them the big questions in a considered manner, but not clickbait. Yeah, kind of. I think so. Maybe just do you believe this wacky thing, yes or no? I mean, maybe it has some sort of value because maybe it will show that these people are very out there or completely on the fringes of belief. But I don't think it's that helpful in terms of actually informing us in terms of the principles that are shaping what their policies are. 
you know, and that that's the stuff that I really like to see. And that, that that's where you can get into religion and it can be a really useful thing for the audience. Well, we'll get to some notable media news now. And the first is about an acquisition by NZME. That's right. Business Desk was launched as a website and subscriber service just just last year, 2020. Uh, and it's being acquired by NZME, which owns the Herald and radio brands like Newstalk ZB. And what are the implications of this for the media landscape, Hayden? Um, apparently not much for Business Desk subscribers. They're just going to have their subscription and uh, the business is just going to be run separately like it always has. That's what the site's founder and editor Patrick Smelly said. Uh, but the Herald, on the other hand, it, it does add to their premium offering, right? They're really focused and heavily on business. And this means that they have another service up their sleeve when it comes to uh, selling people on buying their premium subscription services. And, and that's a blow probably to the NBR, which is competed for that business subscriber audience as well. And NZME is now looking pretty dominant in that market. It obviously has the Herald's business team, which it's invested in a lot how, as well. How much did it cost them? Uh, up to $5 million was the figure uh, that was reported. Uh, so, yeah. Not cheap. I, not not cheap, but probably, a, a, I mean, given what the Herald is pulling in every year, just in terms of its subscriber numbers, maybe a pretty uh, astute investment. And to some in-house news now, and RNZ has also launched something. It's long-awaited yeah. youth service. Uh, uh, yeah, you cast your mind way, way, way back to the heady days of early 2020, just when COVID-19 was just a bubbling background news story about a virus in the Wuhan province. But for a brief moment in time, and on reflection, a blessed moment in time, the biggest face, the biggest crisis facing New Zealand was that RNZ was proposing to shut down Concert FM and replace it with a station serving younger people, and particularly Māori and Pacifica younger people. And those plans were shouted down by, you'll remember this, a vociferous opposition led by former MPs, including Chris Finlayson and Helen Clark, kind of like the bipartisan accord before the bipartisan accord, right? But since then, RNZ's gone away, rethought things, and they've come back with a much reduced, much uh, less substantial offering, uh, and it's called Tahi, and it was launched today at 10 a.m., and this was the track that was playing when the press release went out. I hope you be yourself and lose your friends I hope they call you out for things you said I hope you're miserable until you're dead this, this is Tahi. Check one, check two, check one. That was uh, Nessa Barrett singing, singing, I hope you're miserable until you're dead, which I mean, hopefully is an omission statement for what the new service is uh, bringing to its audience. I think certainly not. Uh, the song choice, probably just a funny accident, but who knows, maybe there was something pointed in it for the protest movement that delayed the project's launch for so long. <laughs> I doubt it. But what does ta- <laughs> what does Tahi actually offer? I mean, it's a pretty small venture right now. It's streaming 24-7 on its website. It'll produce Spotify playlists. It'll have a social media presence. There aren't any announcers right now, so it's pretty much a streaming service and playlist curator. Playlist curator. And what about, oh, yeah, ex- what, what about plans to expand it in the future? 
Yeah, next year apparently expanding into podcasts and videos. So it's covering a lot of the bases and and going into literally the places where young people are on social media and that kind of stuff. So I mean what watch this space, but the the place that it doesn't appear to be expanding is onto concert FM's frequency like was proposed last year so concert fans can breathe a sigh of relief it doesn't look like uh nessa barrett or any of her contemporaries will be knocking rick Maninoff off the airwaves anytime soon though but you never know you do have to keep those eyes peeled or ears <laughs> yeah or ears peeled exactly ears open thank you very much hayden for midweek media watch and you're back next week or Colin. Oh, yes, under the traffic light system. I'll have to negotiate that with Colin. We'll see. All right. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Hayden. Thanks a lot, Karen.